You are listening to Wilhelm, a film-centric podcast for film lovers of all kinds. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Wilhelm. I am your host, Ben Beck, and I hope everybody out there had a great Thanksgiving. I took the week off last week uh, for the holiday, but we're back to it. And while there is another major holiday season approaching in which I do have some fun themed episodes planned and coming, uh, there is a movie on the horizon that's soon to be released, that being The Matrix Resurrections. So what better time than now? Uh, to take a dive into the films that kicked off the franchise. Uh, I need a guest, though, as always, to help me and give me a hand in freeing your minds, so be it, uh, or as it be, whatever the expression is. Uh, so please welcome my co-host for this episode. I'm so excited. I've never podcasted with him. I'm so excited. Uh, my friend, Eric Stipes. Hey, how's it going? Good. I'm uh, I'm excited to have you on. I was excited that you uh, you reached out. Cause I, you know, was looking for people to do this episode. I wanted to get it in before the new one comes out. And cause I figured it was very timely, timely. And when you reached out, I was like, yeah, like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. When, when, uh, when I saw you, um, propose looking for someone for the matrix franchise, I, uh, I got really excited because with everything going on, as you mentioned, a uh, busy holiday season, I kind of forgot that Matrix 4 was coming out in like a month. Yeah. And uh, so this was such a great excuse to take a deep dive back into the trilogy. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's what I figured, like not only for you and me to to kind of go back and rewatch the trilogy, but to release this episode, you know, to talk about this episode and, and dive into these movies and release it not the week before the movie comes out, but a couple weeks before resurrections comes out. Give some people some time. It gives the listeners some time exactly to kind of dive back into those three movies, get caught up and, and revisit before the new movie comes out. Cause I'm excited. I'm excited for the new one. Me too. Yeah. It's I'm, I'm intrigued. I mean, that's, that's a good word for it because I really don't know what they're going to do with this movie. And we'll talk a little bit about that by mm-hmm. the end of the episode. So, but yeah, I'm excited. I know you've done a couple podcasting bits here and there with, you know, with like our, with our friend Jason. And I know you were on, I watched it in the eighties with Damien in which I was actually just on watch it in the eighties with Damien. We talked about ghostbusters afterlife, which that episode just released. So you, by the time you're hearing this, you can go and search that out. That was two hours of a lot of fun. Almost have, two hours of a lot of fun. I've only heard good things. That's good. As okay. soon as I watch the movie, I'm going to go back and check that podcast with you and Damien. Yeah, the movie is so good. I, I loved it. I saw it twice within three days. That's High praise. Yeah, as, as Nicolas Cage says. Oddly enough, Nicolas Cage connected to the Matrix movies. We'll find out about how when we oh, go into some production notes. I did not know this. I'm yeah. here. uh one of the original people approached to play neo before keanu reeves dang 
That's crazy. Cause you know, when I was, when I was watching this, I was thinking like Ben's eventually going to do a Nick cage episode. Oh, absolutely. And I'm absolutely. excited for that. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I'm going to do a Nick. How can you do a movie podcast and not do a Nicholas cage episode? The tough part is narrowing it down. There's just so much. I know I would, I, I, I don't even know why I was thinking about it, but it, when I was watching these, I was, the thought had come of like, yeah, Nick cage podcast with like a top five, what would I even do if I was theoretically going to do one? There's just so much to choose from. It's, like so many great ones. And and he puts out like a movie every two months at this yeah. point. So, <laughs> so, I mean, you're never at a lot. You're never at a lack of movies of Nicolas Cage movies to watch. And a buddy of mine is another plug for another friend of mine too, but another a friend of mine actually has a podcast called That's High Praise. And it literally is every episode he just talks about and reviews another Nicolas Cage movie. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and it's and it's easy to do because, like I said, he's putting out like four or five movies a year at this point. So it's, you know, he's he never runs out of content. Um, But yeah, so the Matrix trilogy, we're going to talk mainly about the trilogy. We might bring up some moments about the anime, uh, the Animatrix and uh, the video game, which for the life of me, the I can't remember the subtitle of the video game. There's. Yeah, there's two. There's Enter the Matrix, which came out alongside Reloaded. And then there is The Matrix Online, which came out the year, the following year in 2004. Oh, I didn't even know there was an online game. I remember Enter mm-hmm. the Matrix because I played it and I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, same. Um, I don't remember a Matrix Online. I wonder if it still exists, if there's it- still servers online. <laughs> I would be surprised, but from from what I understand, it it basically picks up right after the end of Revolutions. So, I did not manage to do a dive into into that though. Okay, interesting. Researching the show, I'm uh uh yeah. I mean, like I said, we'll probably bring up some little tidbits here and there about Enter the Matrix and also the Animatrix. Uh, one one part of the Animatrix Animatrix in particular because it does heavily involve. Um, reloaded and revolutions. It does actually cross over into reloaded and revolutions. Uh, so I'm sure that'll come up in the topic of the conversation. But for the most part, we're just gonna um, we're gonna focus on talking about the original trilogy of Matrix movies. That being the Matrix from 1999, Matrix Reloaded from 2003, released in May of 2003, and then the Matrix Resurrections, which was or uh, Matrix Revolutions which was November of 2003. So both of them came out within, I think, six months yep. of each other. So I'm pretty sure they were filmed at the same time, and that's how they were able to do it. Yes. So, uh, so yeah, this episode's going to be a little bit different uh, format than usual rather than top five format that we usually follow. This one's going to be just a little bit more free form, but you can expect us to hopefully touch on some of the things from the franchise, like uh, some of our favorite moments, favorite scenes, favorite characters, some cool production notes. Uh, and we'll probably talk about some of the things about the trilogy that we didn't like, things that needed work, weak moments uh, and such. Uh, and we may jump around a little bit, so apologize. But the one thing that's most important, uh, as always, there will be spoilers. So you have been warned ahead of time. Uh, but let's let's dive in. Let's dive into the conversation uh, and just start off right with The Matrix. 1999, I was just into... Um, I, I was either... I think it was the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college. So 
definitely showing my age. Um, what were your initial impressions from what you can remember of the first time that you saw Matrix? So I actually have a pretty good memory of this. Um, uh, I'll give away my age too. So <laughs> I first saw this uh, on, on VHS. So my, um, my, mo- my mother's mother and her brother big movie fans and uh they um my parents were kind of strict about what i could watch but um both of them my my uncle my grandmother um would always push to let me see you know um stuff beyond my age limit probably things i should should not Mm -hmm. have been seeing um and i remember my grandmother brought uh vhs of matrix uh uh, my grandmother my uncle brought it as, as soon as it had come out and I remember hearing a conversation between them and my dad about, about um, letting me see it or saying like, Oh, he's, he's going to love this movie. Like, trust me. And uh, so I, I do specifically remember the very first time that I, that I saw it uh, where I was, you know, living room in my house, um, you know, like Saturday afternoon and just being completely, uh, you know, just blown away. Mm-hmm. It, it was like nothing I had, I had ever seen. And, uh, you know, I, I think it, it set the standard for like a whole generation and yeah, it, it's a total masterpiece. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's it sent, like you said, it set a new standard, not in, in multiple ways. I mean, cause not only did it set a new standard in storytelling, but it set a new standard in technology use. Oh yeah. I mean, bullet time was invented purely for the matrix. Yeah. And I don't know if we've ever seen it used the same way since, to be honest. No, I don't think so. Only, I, mostly, I think in maybe like video games and stuff. Yeah, and maybe like in motion capture and stuff like that. But as far as movie making, I don't think, yeah, I, just thinking about it, I don't think we've seen bullet time used since um, because Only it was in, so revolutionary. Yeah, not in movies. I, I think the best other use of it outside of The Matrix was um, the video game series Max Payne. If anybody had the great fortune to play that, that was amazing. But yeah, the really the only other thing I, I think I've seen like bullet time in. Yeah. I, so you were, you were similar to me then the first time you saw it in that you were kind of late to the game as in you didn't see it in theaters. Did not see it in theaters. Yeah. I was the same way. I was, I remember seeing the trailers for it. You know, I remember sitting at a friend's house over the summer and seeing the trailers for it. And, you know, all my friends wanted to see the movie. And for some reason, I don't know what it was. I, I kind of felt like just by watching the trailers, the movie felt a little convoluted to me. Like I, I saw the trailers and thought I'm, I'm never going to get it. Like it's, it's too complicated. It's um, it, it looks, the trailers even look confusing. And I didn't, for that reason, I kind of avoided going to the theaters to see it. So I was late to the game and I didn't see it until it released on DVD. And then I remember sitting over at that same friend's house a couple months later watching it and they had all seen it before and they wanted me to watch it. And I just remember like you just being completely in awe of this movie and being really regretful that I didn't go to theaters to see it. Yeah. I would not have been able to get into the theaters uh, for that one. I did see the the following two in, in theaters. I did as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I didn't go to theaters to see it just because I felt like I was, it was out of my intelligence range. You didn't go just because you weren't old enough to go to the theater yet <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> to see it. 
Um, yeah, I mean, and, and, and I have to say, like, we're going to talk about some of our favorite moments and stuff from throughout the, this franchise. But, you know, one of my favorite moments from this franchise literally is the opening of the movie. I mean, the opening of the movie really sets the standard for what we're going to expect throughout the rest of this franchise. And it's really what I think grabbed me from the very first time I saw it. You know, we see, um, you know, Trinity's hover with the kick. And then we see, you know, jumping huge distances over buildings and oh yeah you know and and gunfights and everything just in that opening sequence and i actually learned uh here's one of the first interesting production notes is that when the wachowski the the then wachowski brothers um pitched the movie to warner brothers warner brothers they pitched the movie they wanted to do it for 30 mil and warner brothers only wanted to give them 10 so they filmed that first oh scene God. Yeah, they filmed that first scene and then went took and took it to Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers said if this is what the movie's going to be like you can have the budget you want. And they gave them the budget they would they gave them the full 30, which blows my mind that that movie was made for 30 million dollars. Yeah, I that thought that it was really made for low. like like 40 50 million or something like that. Yeah. I think the um the sequels were made for like double that, like 60 some something well, that's crazy at, i didn't know that about the uh that intro scene and i'm looking at it now yeah the the the, bu- the budget was 63 so they must have pitched it for 30 warner brothers gave them 10 and then after seeing that scene they gave them whatever they wanted and that oh, was yeah the, and that was the 63 yeah you're right the i'm sorry the sequel was double but it was double 63 <laughs> it was like 150 or something like that yeah if i'm because i'm looking at the notes now that the but yeah the budget for reloaded was 150 million dollars and the budget for uh yeah it was 100 it was also 150 for uh for revolutions yeah i wonder if that was 150 for like both of them put together i don't know just because they filmed them both is one thing oh yeah you know what that could possibly be it could be 150 for both because that does seem a little outrageous to go from 63 to 150 it would make a little more sense if that was total combination for both Uh, although um you know when so i kind of felt if if anybody is a fan of these movies out there and does not happen to own these i would highly recommend um they just released them all in 4K, mm-hmm. and you can buy them all digitally. And there's like a majillion special features. I mean, there's like hours and hours and hours of special features showing how they made all this stuff. And I, I just, you know, like when you're, as we were both saying, the first time you you see this, and you're just like in total awe. And I, and I think, um, like, you could be like so overawed that you might not even have the time to think about how they did it. And, you know, going back and, and looking at those and seeing how they did a lot of that stuff, like you were saying, it's like, is a technical masterpiece, as you were saying, like set all kinds of new standards and, you know, they made new technology and stuff just to bring, uh, the vision of the Wachowskis to life. And it's really worth going and taking a look and and seeing exactly how they did that. And all the, you know, people behind the scenes who made this possible. Yeah, I I actually own the digitals of the uh, the 4K digitals of all three movies, and they are, I mean, you think they look stunning in at the time. I mean, in '99 at that time, 
I think 720 was maybe the max, maybe 1080. Uh, you probably could have gotten in 99. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, in 99, it was everything was was like four by three for the most part, I think. I think they still did widescreen, but I think it was still probably like a standard def. Like, I don't think it was. Oh, yeah. In the theaters, for sure. It was widescreen. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you figure you're going from what they were then in a standard definition format to standard, you know, standard widescreen format to. Yeah. 4K. I mean, the movies looked amazing then. Yeah. And, And now they look phenomenal in 4K. So, yeah, I'm with you. I haven't checked out those special features, though. I'm going to have to do that. Well, like you were saying with, um, you know, just that that opening scene where of the first Matrix where it opens and there's that, you know, the line of code and you have uh, Cypher and Trinity talking, right? And, and uh, you know, she's like, oh, shit, you know, like something's about to go down. And, uh, you know, cue to the cops coming in and um, that that wonderful pan shot where it comes from, like, looking at Trinity over her shoulder to, like, the cops behind her, uh, you know, and then she like jumps up in the air, you know, like spins around and the camera spins with her while she's like holding that crane pose and then kicks the dude like in the face. Um, You know, them doing that with like the multiple cameras of, of like interspersed, like still cameras and like live, um, you know, rolling film cameras so that they could just instantaneously, you know, like switch that point of view and then keep the action rolling. It's just amazing the way that they filmed these. Um, so uh, the Wachowskis were saying like they were heavily influenced by like Hong Kong Kung Fu movies mm-hmm. where a lot of the fight scenes are shot, you know, from a stood back point of view with like wider angles and like with really long shots. So I think that's one thing that's just amazing about those fight scenes, but how you can go from one point of view and then um, they'll, they'll do like a lot of spinning around like with bullet like the bullet time the first time you see it with um neo on the roof when he's like dodging those bullets right when before they get into the helicopter and uh they basically have like pan 360 cameras of of just like there's um you know keanu reeves forgot his name there for a second uh is in in the (laughs) middle of like all these cameras and it's just interspersed with stills and and live rolling cameras and uh you know like they can go spin all the way around and then come come back and uh, it's just amazing yeah i remember watching um i do remember seeing a lot of behind the scenes features before the the new features came out of bullet time and how that was done and how it's literally like a 360 degree rig with all the cameras around and and how that was shot and i remember how amazing that was to me but even going back to you know the the trinity kick from the opening of the movie like that's one of the the things that really sold me on this because I had never seen an effect like that before. And you look at there's, there's that effect. There's the effect of bullet time that we mentioned. And then there's the other, there's the other effect, which I don't know if there's a name for it, but it's during the rescue of Morpheus when he's like kind of running towards the window and there's the extreme close up, And then it kind of like slows down as they're doing it. Like, I don't know what that effect is called, but even that, like there are so many different styles of filmmaking throughout this that had never been seen before. And, and that's really what makes this movie so innovative. And like you said, at the top of the podcast kind of changed things going forward. 
and it's so innovative that like I don't even think you know as we mentioned bullet time hasn't been used in movies since the matrix and I think it's basically because nobody wants to try it it's so intimidating of a process no one wants to try and imitate it yeah I um in digging into these special features never had I guess quite the appreciation for pre-visualization uh that I guess I should have where where basically they pre-render everything, um, you know, in, in a computer where they have like the whole action sequence set up, you know, as if it was like a video game where they have the main characters, you know, on a screen, like their little video game characters, and then have them doing like the exact fights. And then to anybody who's ever played a, a video game where you can move sort of the camera around, it's, it's basically the same thing like that. So they can mm. tell um, like, okay, if we put the camera here, um, what is going to be in the shot? Like if we put it at this height, at this angle, uh, and then we want to move it around here, like what can we capture? How far away does the camera need to be? What kind of, uh, they can simulate like different, um, like lens angles and stuff like that. Do you want wide angle or, or, or whatever? And, and they can see how that's going to look. So they can basically pre-plan out where they're going to have all their cameras when they shoot these action sequences. And they said that, um, you know, they use that a ton in the matrix, but that it was completely invaluable for like, um, the freeway chase scene on matrix reloaded. So they could basically have everything planned out. You know, like you can, everybody I'm, I'm sure is familiar with the concept of like storyboards where you mm -hmm. have basically index cards and you draw like what the scene is going to be on there. But with like previsual visualization, you can do all of that, but you know, like in 3d in time and, yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so it's so technologically advanced, as you said, with you know pre-rendering and 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 uh, and such, and you know the technology that they developed for this movie. It it was nice to see it come back and reutilized again in the second and third movies, and I kind of hope they do the same thing with the fourth one, as well, because as you know, we've said a, I've said a number of times already, it hasn't been seen since the Matrix movies. To me, it's okay if the Matrix takes it back up again and brings it back. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing maybe another bullet time scene, at least like a variation of bullet time. I don't want to see a complete repeat of the same scene again, but I wouldn't mind seeing it used and utilized in a new in a new way for this fourth movie as kind of like a an homage to the way they brought it back. They originally designed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. As far as, as bullet time, whether they whether they do or don't. Um... I guess I'm okay with either, but the, as far as like the fight styles that they did, both like the, the actual martial arts of it all. And then the, the style that they filmed, I think is probably like maybe my favorite, um, like action fighting sequence style that really exists. Um, cause I know, I don't know if it was like late aughts or like early teens when like action sequences started doing like the like rapid cuts, and and I like really can't stand that. If if um if anybody knows what I'm talking about, where it'll be like there's like a one guy will throw a punch and then it'll cut and then there's a cut to like another view and then a cut to another view of just like every time like an action happens, I feel like there's there is like a, a cut scene and it it's like there'll be like a jittery camera or something that's mm -hmm. moving around and I just have no idea what's going on in in like some of these fight scenes and I won't throw out an example because I don't really want to talk trash about any any movies because <laughs> i know a lot of work goes into anything no matter how great or terrible it happens to be but um um like 
like they were saying the this like hong kong kung fu style with with um really long shots and this wide angle of capture um for your your field of view is is just my favorite because it, it just makes you feel like i'm standing on the sidelines sort of like making this happen or watching this happen mm-hmm. and then uh, like you were saying when 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 morpheus is jumping out of the interrogation room um for you know they're using that technique of having multiple cameras uh, lined up on a shot. And then that way they can just rotate the point of view without cutting the action. So it's one continuous shot, even though the, the camera isn't the same camera being used, they can yeah. just splice it all together. It's yeah. amazing. And there, and there's no like cameraman following. It's literally like right. a, a rig that was built that follows him so that it's a smooth transition. It's a smooth follow. And it's like you said, it's able to let, I like the, the point of view that you said of being on the sideline and watching it happen. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of like watching a side scroller, but live. Yes. You know? Um, Yeah. I mean, you're right. Hollywood has relied to a little too much sometimes on quick cuts, fast moving, fast paced um, fight scenes, which there's nothing wrong with fast paced, fast paced fight scenes, but it's the quick cuts that kind of, killed the vibe of it which is why to to mention a different franchise um netflix's daredevil um the hallway fight scene in season one is was, amazing is so amazing because it's one continuous shot there's no quick cuts it's start to finish one shot yeah and i think that's why it blew so many people away is because it was something different this is very impressive so so even if we don't get bullet time in in the new matrix movie i i would like to see if maybe lana was able to pull together some even brand new technology and give us something we've never seen before yet again i would not be surprised i think it would be amazing i think it'd be awesome um so my so i want to pose a question to you getting off like the production side of things you know we've covered a lot of what sets the matrix apart as as a film in in hollywood and in and in, uh, in, in the action genre i'm mumbling a lot i apologize um but here's my question it is a franchise as in there have been three movies and in my personal opinion the way the first movie ends it could have ended right there they didn't mm-hmm. need to make a second or third so in your opinion was a trilogy needed or could it have just stayed at one and left it open ended there? I, you know, I, it could have ended there. And I think that we would still be talking about the matrix the way that you and I were just talking about the matrix. Um, oh, I highly agree. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that it needed follow ons to uh, have the amazing impact that it did. And I think what, um, so allow me to jump for, for a little bit and, and, and just say, I think what makes the first one so amazing um, and I think why it, a lot of people look at it as a masterpiece is, um, you know, I, I heard somebody say in, uh, in the special features, like, yeah, it's robots versus Kung Fu, right? And you can go in at one level and it's robots versus kung fu and on the there are so many other layers to it though there's so many other layers and 
I think that you don't have to dig too hard to start to see those. And, um, and I think with repeated viewings and, and re, re, like the more you think about it, I think you can just keep going down the rabbit hole as it were. And with the second and third ones, I think that it's a lot harder to maybe see, at least it was for me, like the sort of um, like the philosophical kind of underpinnings and like what it is that they're doing other than Kung Fu versus robots in number two and number three. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought, I'm glad you used that word philosophical because that's a word that's been in my head too, especially with the first movie. I mean, you're right. Like robots versus Kung Fu or robots meets Kung Fu is a great description for the first movie. But the more upon more and more viewings of that, you do realize there are some philosophical undertones. There are some religious undertones. There's the element of sci-fi. There's the element of, um, not so much steampunk. Steampunk is more reloaded and revolutions um, than than the original Matrix. But, you know, when you bring in, you know, the Oracle and what she stands for, that's where religion and philosophy comes in. And you're right. The second and third movies kind of lose that a little bit. And the elements of them that we get in the second and third movies almost feel kind of forced. If that makes sense. Yeah, it kind of feels like um, that they're less, um, I don't know, organically distributed and that they kind of come up in a few scenes and they're just sort of like concentrated, um, like in the in Reloaded in the scene with the Oracle right before the awesome Burly Brawl. Burly Brawl, yep. One of my and, favorite scenes. And then like the Architect scene in Reloaded. And then, you know, the the final bit uh the end of 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 uh, i totally blanked on the on the third movie's name revolutions revolutions yeah at the end <laughs> i do it with, too with, i do it too architect and oracle too many r's man i love alliteration but it can be a little bit difficult sometimes <laughs> and the fourth one's following right along with it too with resurrections so yeah it's you know, so, I mean, in my personal opinion, I, I do feel that they could have ended the first one. And you're right. Had they not made Reloaded and Revolutions, we would still be talking about The Matrix the same way we are today. It would still be just as revolutionary. It would still be just as innovative. And and it would still be in, it would still be on lists of best, like probably greatest movies of all time. That being said, I do appreciate the second and third one for what they gave us. Um, I don't necessarily think they are. I mean, I've heard some people pretty much just like, tr like completely trash those movies. And yeah, I, I, I don't think that's deserved. I think I, I do appreciate what we got. I don't know how you feel about them. So, I think when I first saw them, so somebody must have must have gone with me or, or bought my ticket or I snuck in because I was only 15 when those movies came out. So okay. those are definitely our movies, right? I'm like 90% sure those are. Uh, Matrix, I think. Don't sink in the movies. Uh, Matrix Reloaded was rated R. And I'm assuming Reloaded was probably the same. Reloaded was also rated R. Yeah, so the entire trilogy was rated R. Yeah, so when I saw those, I was also completely blown away by 
the action and stuff. And um, Burly Brawl is still like one of the most impressive fight scenes just ever. What what um what I learned in the special features was that there are more coordinated moves in Burly Brawl alone than in the entire first Matrix movie. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me one bit. <laughs> Because so, that that scene is that scene is incredible. Absolutely. I mean, and that's just it. Like when I say, like I appreciate some of the things that they gave us, you know, that those the trilogy gave us. Yes, I, I think the story felt kind of forced a little bit and kind of weak. Like they wanted to take what was what they gave us in the first movie, which, like you said, felt very natural, very fluid. Like it, it made sense and it just flowed and, and two and three was kind of like, oh, well, we need to go bigger and we need to make this world bigger. And you didn't have to do that, but I get it and I appreciate it. But even that, like I, like I said, I do appreciate some of the things it gave us. Burly Brawl is an amazing piece of action cinematography. Um, and on top of that, too, that which was in Reloaded, but the freeway chase scene, which you mentioned earlier. I think is a like I put that on par with anything the first movie gave us. Yes, I, I, man, the freeway chase scene isn't. I, I, you know, I can't believe that they have both Burly Brawl and the freeway chase <laughs> in the same movie. In the same movie, and yeah. and in between them is that awesome fight scene in like the the chateau in the chateau. Yeah, which is just nets yeah against the um those twins i forget the name of those twins they're just Um, called twins i think are they just called the twins okay yeah yeah that makes sense um oh but there's a there's a special name for those those programs that uh, don't go back to the source like all those other bodyguards that the merovingian has i can't remember what the yeah that yeah i can't remember what they're called either so but you're right i mean there's so much that this movie gives us and the yeah. fact that, you know, and the fact that like when you when you talk about like the the effort that they put into one of these scenes, one of the coolest pieces of trivia that I know about the movie of Reloaded, at least, is that they built a one and a half mile long stretch of highway purely for that highway chase scene so that yeah. they literally could do whatever they wanted. And it paid off. Yeah. <laughs> It's just amazing. The things that they did for these movies is just amazing. Yeah. Um, so before we before we started recording, I was mentioning uh, that I kind of had dove down the rabbit hole and maybe had gone a little bit too far. <laughs> dove too uh, deep. Dove too deep. And um, so while we're talking about philosophical underpinnings of these movies and how it feels like very organic in the first one and can feel a little bit forced in the second and third. Um, you want, you want to dive down the rabbit hole a little bit? With me? I'm, you know what? I'm actually very intrigued by this because I've, you know, outside of this podcast, I, you know, when you and I first got the meet for the first time in Hershey, <laughs> we had some very, very intellectual conversations, you know, when we were all hanging out and in person. So I know places your mind can go. So I'm incredibly intrigued by this. So please have at it. Okay, so uh, I don't I don't have anyone in particular to credit, but um, you know, a lot of a lot of this is not my original thought, but some stuff that I had had dug up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But basically, I don't know if you're familiar with with the idea of dialectics, but it's basically um, like you have first a thesis. So you put forth an idea and then there is an opposing force against that. That is the antithesis. And finally, those two are reconciled in a synthesis. So um, a force in one direction, a force in another direction, and then a meeting in the middle. So you can kind of think of this as like a pendulum swing to one side, then the other, and then it comes down to the middle. Um, but continually that pendulum swings. So it's synthesis, then followed by thesis, then antithesis, then synthesis over and over again. Um, so one way to look at this trilogy is the original matrix as just thesis. Okay. So you just have this idea, this statement, these ideas put forth out there and there's this story. And like you were saying, it could have just ended right there. Like just there's this beautiful thesis it's put out there mm -hmm. and you could have just ate that for lunch and said, that's awesome. I'm done. But then along comes reloaded, which is the uh, dialectical antithesis of the first one. So in the first movie we have, um, you know, Thomas Anderson and uh, he's feels that something is wrong. You know, his whole life uh, has the encounter with Morpheus. He's the one um, goes to talk to the Oracle. No, actually I'm not the one you're sorry, you kid you're waiting for something else. Maybe the next life. Right. Then, uh, you know, he dies. Trinity's like, Oh, you, you can't die because I love you. And the Oracle told me I was going to love the one. Right. So then he comes back. He's the one. Right. And, and then the movie ends with, uh, you know, him unleashing his like demigod powers and, you know, just having control over the matrix. And, uh, you know, there's the phone booth scene at the end where he's like, you know, I'm, I didn't come here to tell you how it ends. I'm here to tell you how it begins. The next part is up to you. Right. And then he, flies off into the sky and you're like holy shit this is fucking amazing yeah exactly and you're like it could just it could just end there and so and leave it open-ended yeah so what do we get from that is that the matrix is a system of control uh but there's this guy the one who came along and freed the first people uh from the matrix they started zion uh but you know one day he was going to come back and you know free the rest of the people and end the war and end the, you know, totalitarian uh, enslavement of the human race by the machines. And then what you get in Reloaded is that everything you thought you knew in the original Matrix was total bullshit. And that is that Neo did not, he, he was not freed. He didn't have his mind freed, right? Um, in the original Red Pill, Blue Pill scene in the first matrix uh you know um morpheus asked neo do you believe in fate and neo's like no and he's like why he's like because i want to believe that i'm in control of my own life right and you know there's there's some hints of that free will determinism stuff in in the first movie but you know as we were saying it feels a lot more organic you know it comes up again in the scene where he first meets the oracle with like the whole face breaking you know what's really going to bake your noodle later is uh would you have still broken the base if i didn't tell you mm -hmm. right and uh it feels a little bit less organic in the second one but the basic gist of it uh between the oracle scene 
in Reloaded and then the architect scene is that the one is, um, you know, there's this, this awesome speech of the architect, which I have pulled up, but I'm not going to read it. I'll just summarize and just say <laughs> that, uh, you know, he's like not only like planned for, but basically controlled. He's the sixth one that this has happened over and over again. And he's so like anything that happens um, repeatedly, you can plan for it. And with planning is some amount of control. And like, you know, there was the perfect original matrix that was, you know, like a heavenly matrix, but humans rejected it. And then there was like a much crueler, grosser matrix, uh, but they rejected that too. And then, so they made this one of, you know, the late 20th century, which 99% of people could accept, but some small amount would reject. And it results in this anomalous one. And that's how they maintain control is like, okay, 99% of people are going to accept it. Um, you know, some very, very small fraction are going to reject it, but we can anticipate that and we can plan for it. And when we can plan for it, we can control the outcome. And this is how we do it. We let them, you know, escape. So he says, you know, like when uh, at the end, he's got the choice to leave and go save Trinity or to go out into the matrix and pick 23 new individuals. Either way, Zion's going to be completely destroyed. There's nothing he can do about that, the architect says. So he can either leave and go try and save Trinity and die in the process, not save these 23 people and not restart Zion. And if he does that, that'll be the end of the human race. Or he can do what you know he's been planned to do, what is the function of the one. And he uses the word function, which is basically like another name for a program. Uh, or, or a part of a program, something that um, executes like a uh, performs a certain duty, basically. And so mm -hmm. Neo's duty is to do this and to restart Zion repeatedly so that he's both the beginning and the end, right? So like in the first one, Morpheus says, you know, like there was the one, he came and he freed the first of us and, you know, he died and it was prophesied that he would return and end the war, right? But the one who ends it is also the exact same one who begins it so the first one frees the first 23 starts the first zion right then he dies and then the second one comes around when there's the first zion but he's around when the first he lets the first zion die then saves 23 people and then starts the second zion right so the one is both the beginning and the end which is like totally crazy but it's a system of control that the one is explicitly um he, he's totally complicit in allowing the rest of humanity to remain enslaved in the matrix by saving these 23 people he's like okay this is really the only way that humanity can endure because if he doesn't do this if he goes through the other door and saves trinity right then all of humanity will die and that's like the stakes is like, okay, you can either have no humans or 99% of humans enslaved, but some of you are free for a little bit, but then we'll kill you. Right. So what's it going to be? And, and so with that, it's like, he did not at any time become free. It like at least the previous five versions, you know, it mm -hmm. happens that our sixth Neo manages to break the cycle. some peace or whatever. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I'll stop with that. No, that, I mean, it's, it's, it's really intriguing because you, 
the way you described it is is very much how the movie is but i mean it's the the way you describe it you know with the thesis and the antithesis of you know the the philosophical tale it's it puts a whole new spin on it that i'll be quite honest with you i just rewatched these movies the other day i kind of want to go back and rewatch them again because it's going to make me look at it in a little bit of a different light so and not necessarily and not in a bad way at all like it kind of makes yeah. me want to be a little bit more open minded as i'm watching them and watch them not necessarily just as movies but also as a piece of philosophy yeah cuz that really does that really is what it equates to yes <laughs> and then you know so the the third one is the the synthesis where both you know man and machine are put to threat by whatever virus that smith ends up becoming which is a lot harder to make a good case for at, at least just given what i know mm-hmm. but yeah and then there's you know a whole bunch of stuff that you could get into with with the first one um with uh when when we first you know encounter neo and he's like in his apartment and you know there's like the Coded on his computer and you know, says like follow the white rabbit right and the people come to his door give him the money and neo goes to get some cds out of a book and that book is simulacra and simulation by um uh philosopher jean baudelard i, I believe um and yeah there's a, there's a lot of that in the matrix too about um basically different layers of abstraction from reality and basically how, you know, signs and symbols uh, originally have some representation in reality, and then you get um, copies of those, and then copies of those, and then eventually the things that you are surrounded by are uh, just copies of copies, or are copies of things that have no original whatsoever, Mm -hmm. and everything is just entirely simulation and you know that's basically what the matrix is and this this book was basically saying uh came out back in the 80s that like in our current stage of like capitalism mass consumerism like mass media um that what we are in now is basically a simulation of reality that like our daily lives the daily things that we interact with are so abstract abstracted from um you know like our original life as as human beings uh you know if you imagine like hunter gatherers or whatever that like that is that everything we interact with has no real basis in in that like animal reality anymore yeah and everything that we're concerned with like you know status power materialism all of that is just complete simulation with no basis in in real animal reality well, it's, it's interesting, too, when you look at things from that perspective, because you look at how, I mean, even when The Matrix came out, there were also, there were already theories, and I think there still are to this day, that something like that could actually be real, and we really are just living within a simulation. And the way you put it kind of makes makes it kind of already real that we are kind of living in a simulation. Everything is just a copy of a copy of a copy, which means nothing is actually real anymore. Everything is a simulation. But at that time, you know, when theories were coming out, like what if we really are in a, in a simulation and something like the matrix actually exists, we're not actually real. We're just constructs of something of, of ourselves. You know, everybody was like, well, I would hate that. And then you fast forward to a time like today where there's movies like ready player one, which is literally jacking into a system. 
and becoming yeah. a simulation of yourself. And now we're in a time and place where Ready Player One comes out and everybody's like, oh, I hope that's real one day. It's like, well, you, yeah. you've you've transitioned so far in how in like 15, 20 years. Yeah, not well, 15, yeah, almost. Well, not 20. It hasn't been 20 years since the Matrix came out, but it's been what, 12? My math, 13. My math is uh no since 99. It has it's over 20. Oh my god. My math is way off. It's been almost 30 years. God, that makes me feel old. It's been hold on. My math 22, is, bro. Yeah. Why well, I, I don't know. Hey, so I work in I work Forget in a lab it. and people there pull out <laughs> calculators all of the time. Yeah, for very, very simple things. Yeah, I should have done it. It's like I've 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 turned on my mind to go deep into a movie like this, and now I'm forgetting yes. the simple things. Yeah, well, we were just talking, you know, philosophy and stuff, and 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 religion and things. Yeah, with with, yeah. Well, I guess we didn't even touch on like the religious aspect, but um, so I had heard um, uh, Lily describing um, Morpheus's character as basically a religious zealot, um, and her saying and i have this this awesome quote pulled up here that um basically people who uh think they know the truth uh can be very dangerous because they can act blindly and you know that's that's basically morpheus um like if you think about his his awesome uh speech in the the gatekeeper scene um where um, Morpheus and Neo are walking through, uh, you know, the construct and they first you know, like see the lady in red and, uh, uh, he has that, that fabulous speech, um, where he says you know, like the matrix is a system. Uh, the system is our enemy, but when you're inside, you look around, what do you see? Businessmen, teachers, policemen, carpenters, uh, the very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still part of that system. And that makes them our enemy. You have to understand that most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inert, so hopelessly dependent on the system that they will fight to protect it. And so he believes this religiously. And, uh, you know, he's then Neo sees the woman of red dress and he's like staring at her. And Morpheus says, you know, like, look again. Uh, turns around that there's the agent with the, with the gun to Neo's head. Mm -hmm. And he was like, what you need to remember is that until we have saved these people, every one of them is an agent pretty much. So he's, he's basically got that with us or against us, uh, you know, kind of mentality. Well, well, not only that, but I mean, and and I know like, and I know eventually we are going to get back to like favorite moments and things like that. But I like this conversation about philosophy and religion, and I hope you know listeners are enjoying it as well because it really is what this movie is made up of. But you know, mm -hmm. talking about you know the religious undertones as well, like even Morpheus's faith in Neo being the one, without knowing truly that he is the one. Yeah, it is that's an that element. blind acting. It's the blind acting. I mean, it's the same thing that drives a lot of people in faith and religion is believing in an entity or believing in a deity that even though you can't see it, you still have that faith that it exists. And that's exactly how Morpheus is when it comes to Neo. He has that blind faith, even though he hasn't seen it. You know, so that in itself is kind of a religious undertone to the film. Yeah. 
And, you know, getting back to this simulacra and si simulation uh, deal, that's basically the way that it is with um, all media that you consume. And I mean all. Uh, you know, so in the like original red pill, blue pill scene, uh, you know, he says, you know, like the matrix is everywhere. It's all around us. Uh, when you look out your window, when you turn on your TV, you know, you can feel it. You see it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. Uh, it's the, and he doesn't say the wool that's been pulled over our eyes. It's the world, the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Neo says, what truth? Uh, that you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch, a prison for your mind. And with simulacra and simulation, it's basically you're living in a world of symbols. If you look around you, like you're wearing a hat, there's a symbol on your hat, and that symbol is the symbol of a company. And with that comes certain ideas about what kind of people wear this hat. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what do those people do for a living? What do they think about religion, about politics? What kind of homes do they live in? What kind of cars do they drive? What kind of books, if any, do they read? Uh, you know, what kind of TV programs do they watch? And all of that kind of stuff can be conveyed by the little symbol on the hat that you are currently wearing. I'm wearing a shirt as well. There's a logo of the college I went to. And based on uh, what college that was, you can get a certain idea about uh, who I am, what my experiences were when I get there, whether those are real or not, right? Again, talking about layers of extraction or abstraction, you know, same thing with your hat, whether you are or not you know, somebody who really aligns with that, or you just pick that one out at random. Right. And so that is with, um, you know, he, he very poignantly uh, points out, you know, like when you look at your window, when you look at your TV and I feel like a lot of us think um, when we turn on our TV and we look at, and it doesn't matter what news source you're, you're watching, whether you're watching uh, you know, CNN or the 700 club, or MSNBC or, or OAN, right? Uh, a lot of people watch that. And if that's their preferred channel, they think what they're looking at is reality. They're looking not at a television screen. They're looking through a window. They're looking through a window at the real world. Like when actually what you're looking at is, is not a window. You're looking at a painting. You're looking at something that has been created mm -hmm. by the mind of another individual. And that palette has been carefully selected. What colors, what shapes, what figures, what's the landscape, what's the background, what's in, what's out. All of that is a carefully constructed image. And we're surrounded by these carefully constructed images that abstract us from real reality. So when Morpheus says like, uh, the matrix is is all around you, right? In the in the literal sense, for them, like they're in a machine. They're they're literally surrounded by the matrix, right? But um, you know, the Wachowskis influenced by this book. It, it's a it's a very clever um, way to say that hey, all around us, everything 
around us has been carefully crafted and curated. This this prison of your mind, right there in the matrix, they're literally in a prison of their of their minds, right? They're they're trapped in their bodies and they keep they can't get out. But us, like we're limited by our culture, we're limited by our language, the way that we think, the thoughts that we think are influenced by the time that we're in, the people that we know, the experiences that we've had. Um the consequences that we faced from the actions of ourselves and, and others. And all of that is inescapable. We are inescapable products of our culture, of our time, of our languages, of our methods of thinking. And we cannot escape that either. Mm-hmm. Man, you, you, when you went deep, you went deep a little bit. Yeah. I dig it though. I really do. Like, and like I said, I hope people listen and dig it too. Cause I'm so intrigued because I didn't go that deep and I'm glad somebody did. But like that kind <laughs> of stuff is, is mostly missing though, from, from the second and third, like there's no kind of ponderances like that. Like there's no real grand speeches, like the ones that Morpheus gives there that I, that I just quoted. Yeah, so it, I think that's kind of why they tend for most viewers. And they did for me through these rewatches ring a, more hollow, more like eye candy, even though the eye candy is some of the best eye candy I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, and and that's just it too. You know, like a, a lot of people feel that the second and third movies didn't live up to the first one, even though, like I said, I still think they did give us a lot and I do appreciate what they gave us, but I do agree. They did. It didn't live up to the first one. And even though a lot of people may not realize exactly what was missing from the films in the sense of philosophical, uh, you know, philosophical storytelling and and religion, the way the first one portrayed it. A lot of people may not have seen that on the surface. That's what's missing. But they were still able to feel a sense that something was missing. I deeply agree. Yeah. So um, with that being said, let's dive into some of our I mean, unless you have any other philosophical or religion notes that you kind of want to bring up before we move on to like scenes and characters and, and things like that. I, I think that's mostly it, but you know, that's all that stuff is what jumped out at me the most when I was going through these rewatches was like, wow, the original matrix like is, um, you know, not only to hold up on all those other levels that we were talking about, but it's still so completely, uh, applicable, uh, you know, mm-hmm. simulacra and simulation written back in the eighties. And that guy was already saying that, that we're living in you know, like that whole world that I just described. And it was still super apt in, in 1999. Um, we in for a storm right after 99 and, (laughs) and we're still in that, that storm now. And, and I don't see it ending like maybe ever. And the movie, I mean, not just from a special effects perspective, but just from a storytelling perspective, the movie still holds up. Like it's, it's been like 22 years, as you mentioned, and I so largely failed at figuring out how long it, how long ago the movie came out. You know, 22 years, the movie still holds up. And it's in almost every degree, the movie still holds up to me. Yep. I don't I don't know if you still feel if you feel the same way. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does. Um, I mean, I, I only watched it, did these rewatches in, in the 4K. I didn't watch them in anything else. So with those transfers visually it, it's amazing um yeah if you're a fan you should definitely check them out in in the 4k and as far as you know all that other stuff goes on like um just talking about layers of, of power and control like you 
layers of power and control go back to the beginning of human history. And I don't think that they'll ever go away as long as there are humans. So stories about power and control and self-determination, um, like identity, self-expression, you know, all of those, you know, especially, um, you know, being very personal for like the Wachowskis who, um, you know, are, are now, um, Lon and Lily, um, you can, you can go back and, and, and watch, you know, like those films with, with the eye of, um, uh, transness. And yeah, that's just another added layer that I didn't even go into that is totally there if you're looking for it now. Oh, well, the ca- I mean, even th- there's one character in particular that highlights that completely, even though unfortunately it didn't happen the way they wanted it to. But the character of Switch was literally supposed to be that kind of trans character in that it was supposed to be a male character within the Matrix, but a female character in the real world. That was the point of the name Whoa. Switch. I yeah. had no idea. Yeah, I might have that the other way around. Maybe it's a male in the real world and a female inside the matrix. I can't I can't remember. But that was the point. That was the reason why that character was created and named Switch was because the character was going to switch sexes both in and out of the matrix. Wow. So and you know, with that, like the um Agent Smith is is constantly calling Neo, you know, Mr. Anderson. And and you know, you get in the very excellent subway fight scene in the very first matrix uh you know right before the train's about to plow into both of them and then neo says uh you know like agent smith's got neo around the neck and he's like you see mr anderson this is inevitable uh again that that determinism you know organically creeping in there and um neo saying like my name is neo before you know it smashes him into the roof Mm -hmm. and dodges out of the out of the way of the train like there's a huge power in being like no i'm not what you say i am i am what i claim to be and i think that that is extremely powerful incredibly powerful yeah um that said with you know you mentioned the subway scene we kind of mentioned burly bra already and we mentioned the freeway chase as well um let's throw a highlight on some of our favorite eye candy and eye catching moments from the movie. Let's talk about Heck some yeah. of them. Let, let's talk, let's talk about some of our favorite scenes. Um, you know, so um, some of the ones that we've mentioned already, we mentioned the opening of the movie, uh, the freeway chase, burly brawl, uh, bullet time. And I think that, I think for the most part, those are the ones that we've named so far. What are some yes. other ones that kind of stick out to you? The, the freaking lobby scene. Oh my God. I'm so glad you brought that up. One. Yeah. It's, it's such a incredibly well done scene. It is a three minute scene, maybe a little longer, that took them 10 days to film. And with the exception of removing the cables, removing the wires that were attached to them, yeah. there is no CG in that scene. Everything is practical effects. Yeah, yeah. So I was watch as I was watching that most recently. Uh, what jumped out to me the most this time was uh, you know, like they have the bomb in the elevator, and then they they um, shoot. They escape the elevator, shoot the wire. They go zooming up. Elevator with the bomb goes down, blows out in the lobby. And you know, like I've I always heard it say, you know, like it's incredibly hard to do fire and CG, right? And I'm like, so I'm like looking at this. I'm like, okay, I'm watching this in 4K. And this fire looks fucking incredible. It's because it's a real freaking fire. It's real fire, exactly. Freaking real fire. They blew it up, man. 
yeah i mean the the gunfight the running along the walls like everything from you know punching the walls and the concrete exploding like everything was done practical effect which just made that scene even better and then when they it's why it'll hold up forever too oh absolutely because the cg will never get old because there's no cg in the scene (laughs) yeah um and one of my one of my other absolute favorite parts of that scene is that um at the end when the when it's the wide shot of the lobby the aftermath of it and the elevator door closes and it just sits there for a second and then you just see that last piece of concrete fall yeah that wasn't timed it was it actually happened and it was so coincidental that they were like yeah we're leaving that in whoa i did not know that that's amazing so i like it was such a well-timed coincidence that they were like yep that's staying in the movie which is super cool because um if you if you dig into the special features um uh for listeners out there like they really really were super meticulous about absolutely everything and like planned everything and like knew exactly what they wanted with like every freaking shot you know like we were mentioning earlier with like the with the previs and stuff so that that's super cool i did not know that about that yeah. concrete and the cool i mean and i love that scene again too because i mean it is it is i mean if you if i had to pick a top three favorite scenes of the entire trilogy that would be in my top three because it's 100 it's such a phenomenal scene and it, it just it kicks off like when they walk through the lobby and they set off the security sensor yes. and he opens his jacket and that security guard's just holy shit and then boom like it just it goes into it and it's like it's god it's so phenomenal it's such a great scene it really is um one of my favorites is one that I that kind of grew on me at first. Um, I didn't know how I felt about it at first. I felt it was very overly CG, which is the total opposite of the lobby scene. But the more and more I watched it, the more I grew to appreciate it. And that's the final battle between Neon, Neo, Neo, Neon, uh, Neo, and, and Agent Smith. Um, you know, in inside the matrix it's nothing agent smith has pretty much taken over everybody and it's them one-on-one and it's a great fight scene that's mixed with some amazing um martial arts choreography super heroic flying uh like epic destruction in that final fall to you know to the ground in what i believe is supposed to be the flat iron building in new york city that explodes in the background. Oh, interesting. But it's, which I don't know if that has any merit or meaning. I think maybe just aesthetically, it was a building that fit into the background. Um, but yeah, that's just one of those scenes that, like I said, the more, the more I watched it, the more I grew to appreciate it. So, yeah, I was, I was lucky enough that, um, you know, going into these rewatches, I, I basically just remembered those for like the, the excellent action scenes. And, um, uh, so for me, yeah, that scene is just absolutely amazing. Like all, all the rain, all the effects around that, you know, like them like coming together and doing like explosions, like the raindrops, you know, like, like coming out, um, you know, watching the, special features seeing how they how they did all that it's again just another huge technical masterpiece before they did those air fight scenes like they rented one of those um jets that flies up and then does like the free fall so they had um and i can't believe we haven't mentioned it up until this point but whoa ping 
like the big stunt guy that they they went and got you know, like their hong kong kung fu guy oh yeah who, yeah who did uh fists of fury that they wanted specifically for the matrix and had to uh go after repeatedly to get him to come on to do the matrix and then he came back to do the second and third one he had his team they they put his team uh up in one of those those jets that does the the, the free falls so the vomit get, comet the vomit comet yeah. yeah they had them do the vomit comet beforehand so they would have an idea what a fight would look like in free fall, like you were mentioning, like that awesome neo falling, right? Mm. What would a fight look like in the air in free falling? And so they went and did it. They freaking did it. They did a fight in free fall to see how it would actually look. That's <laughs> amazing. Just so cool. The amount of research and time and effort that they put into every background element of these movies, even the second and third ones, is just it's phenomenal. It's it's just it's outstanding. Um, what's another scene that you think kind of stands out a little bit? Uh, you know, I think for me that the only one that really stands out that we haven't talked about is the amazing, like Zion doc scene, which, you know, is, is many, many scenes like, cause they cut to and, and back from, but, uh, uh, combined those amazing sequences the, the fights between the the apus and the squiddies in in zion is is just freaking amazing uh how awesome those looked at the time i, I just couldn't believe it and still looks really good uh at least it did to me and my and my most recent rewatch is is extremely impressive no i, I, I think the uh, amount of money they put in into that they were saying like we we put more money into the cg for these this zion battle than like most movies have for their entire budget <laughs> yeah and 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 i agree with you that scene is also on my list that battle for zion um those scenes are just absolutely incredible um and one of the things that we you know we mentioned at the top of the podcast is that there's a very important character in those scenes that a lot of people may not realize because they may not have seen it, but the character of kid actually comes from the animatrix. There is a particular segment of the animatrix where it's a story about a kid living the kid called the kid. Yeah. Who is living in the matrix and he is eventually freed. And I thought it was so great because I do remember animatrix came out um, shortly before reloaded and revolutions if i'm correct if i if i remember correctly yeah i know it came out real close i i've heard it described as the matrix 1.5 but yeah i i don't remember i know that i rented it before that i before i saw revolutions but i'm i'm not sure when it came out yeah i remember owning it um yeah video 2000 it was released 2003 straight to dvd straight to blockbuster yep yep I worked at Blockbuster, uh, I think, at the time. Oh, awesome. When it came out. Um, it says June of 2003. So that actually was shortly after Reloaded. Oh, yeah. Must have been. Um, which is interesting because I thought I remembered Kid being introduced first in Animatrix. Yeah, he, he is. So, I mean, timeline-wise, yeah, what ha- historian Animatrix happens before Reloaded. Yes. So. That's very interesting because there's also um, 
the flight of the Osiris, as as we were hinting at earlier, which is which basically happens before Reloaded as well. Um, with with like that's where the message comes from that uh, the machines are are trying to invade Zion and, and knock it out. Is there's this one lone hovercraft who happens to encounter all these squiddies in this drill machine, and they're like, "Do you know where we are right now?" Oh shit, we're like directly above Zion. Like these guys are coming. We gotta, we gotta get this message out. And so that's like the message that the couriers are uh, carrying in the beginning of Reloaded. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting watch. Um, that if anybody is a fan of these movies and they haven't seen the Animatrix, I highly recommend. Um, which I know you do as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, uh, but you know, getting back to the story of Kid. You know, he is in this animated section of the animatrix. The animatrix is completely animated. Um, hence the Annie in the in the beginning. And the it, there's a story, there is a segment in there called Kid Story, and it is all about this character kid who is eventually awakened from the matrix and he is brought into the films in Reloaded and Revolutions. He is the kid that is called Kid. And to rem- if you don't remember him by name, he is the one who is running the ammunitions out to these units and eventually ag- ends up taking over one of the units to shoot the chain to open the door so that, um, oh God, I can't remember her name. Niobe. Niobe, yes. Uh, so that Naomi and her ship can can return to set off the EVP or EMP. Yeah. I thought you were trying to remember the name of the ship, and I was like, I can't, I can't remember which one it is either. Oh, I can't remember the name of the ship either. Not a true Matrix nerd. I apologize. I'm right there with you. I don't remember, <laughs> and I just watched them the other day. Me too. <laughs> I still don't remember the name of the ship. That's all right. And I, yeah, I was watching all the special features and stuff earlier today. But yep. So so there's that. Did you have any other uh, favorite scenes? Because that's all mine. Um, the only other one I have is the scene that I call, I know Kung Fu and it is oh, yeah. <laughs> the training sequence between Morpheus and Neo. Um, it's just such an incredible, um, fight scene. And it's, it, it gets highlighted even more when you realize, which I don't think many people knew at the time that m- those martial arts moves are not faked. At least not beaten Mm -mm. by Keanu. Keanu is in real life a certified badass. I don't know if anybody... He's very impressive IRL. I I don't know if anybody has seen... um, There is a video floating around. There's like a YouTube video of of him floating around doing gun training. Oh, yeah. He does a three gun. Yeah. it's It'll blow your mind. It, It seriously will blow your mind. He is... Like as you said, as you said, a badass IRL. There's like no doubt in my mind. Um, yeah, it's so it's so freaking impressive. I, you know, like I go to the range sometimes, and just like I'm a, obviously a total amateur, but <laughs> it, it, if if you you know handled firearms and uh, see your level of competency competency at the range, and then watch one of these people, and it's you know like Keanu Reeves do do this stuff, and you're just like. Holy f! This this guy's a freaking amazing. Yeah, he's insane, and it's no wonder that he's still doing movies like John Wick uh, and such. Um, 
Niobe ship, by the way, is the logos. Ah, yeah, the logos. I mean, because it's it's hard to forget the Nebuchadnezzar. Because mm-hmm. that's, I mean, because there's I, that awesome shot of the nameplate at the very least in the first yeah. one. And yeah, because it's really not mentioned a lot of times, but it's just such a memorable name for some reason that you just don't forget. You don't forget the Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, you know, I think um, uh, maybe people with a Judeo-Christian background like that name's kind of already there. That's true for the most part. Yeah, that's true. Um. Oh, so as so yeah, scenes we've pretty much covered. Um, for the most part, some of our favorites. Where do you stand with characters? I mean, ex- with the exception of Neo, who would you say is probably one or two of your other favorite characters from the franchise? And it doesn't have to be Morpheus or or Trinity. Because I know, I know personally, I was I was a big fan of Niobe. It's um, definitely Morpheus and Trinity for me. <laughs> It well, I mean, Morpheus and Trinity I, and Neo are absolutely like. How can you go wrong with any of the three of them? Yeah, I, um, I mean, it's basically a, a, a four star lead of of Hugo Weaving, uh, Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, and and Lawrence Fishburne, pretty much across the three movies. It's mostly them. Hugo Weaving is just <laughs> he's so amazing in these movies, and what's cool about it too is the fact that he. Uh, he didn't have to go far for his um uh um for inspiration for his character because the way he spoke as agent smith was similar to how the wakowskis spoke on set so he basically just modeled his performance off the wakowskis wow yeah i did not know that yeah it's cool i mean it, you know it's it's fun little trivia um, yeah, I mean, like I said, Morpheus, Trinity, you can't go wrong with any of them, Agent Smith. But I mean, in addition to those, Niobe I was, was a favorite of mine. Uh, and Seraph, I, I thought, was an awesome character as well. So, Oh, yeah, yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah. So, I mean, we mentioned, I, I mentioned Nicolas Cage at the top. Um, there were three other people. I'll get into some production notes unless you have any other notes for on characters and, and scenes. Um, I don't think so. Other than to mention that um, the original actress who played Oracle um, in the first two movies um, sadly passed, you know, between uh, Reloaded and um, Revolutions. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sadly blanking on, on what her name was. Was did she pass? Did she do the first two, or did she just, or did she do one, and then the second actress came in for two and three? Uh, the second actress came in for for three. For three, okay, okay. So they must have been filming them back to back, and then they. Uh, uh, Gloria Foster was the first Oracle. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what um how how she passed, but she was just so freaking amazing uh as as the oracle uh in in the first one just so like charming isn't isn't quite the word but like like it was written just for her i don't know if they had her in mind but 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 
for for you know a scene she's only in the movie for like a couple minutes but i she does so much to make that first movie because a, a, a lot rides on the oracle uh throughout this this trilogy and you know she only has two scenes basically she has that scene in the in in the original matrix and and then that that's on right the park before bench burley right before burley brawl yeah yeah and the second one but but i don't i don't know she just embodies that character so well yeah she died unfortunately at, at the age of 67 from complications of diabetes so man 67 is re still relatively young i mean that's yeah that was sad but i do remember her passing away and then having to recast the role for the third film so um some production notes that i have here uh you know i mentioned nicholas cage at the top uh possibly being up for the role of neo there were two other people that were up for the role as well before uh ken reeves took it both will smith and J uh, johnny depp were also up for that role whoa which i don't know of any of the three of them if it would have worked out any other way uh i know i'm trying to find the other note there were also you know other... i could i could see it because um i could see you know, will smith well well all of them you know like they have like quite the comedic side but then they they can also do like serious i, I think extremely well and um you know obviously keanu with like bill and ted and stuff um and then i don't know i i, I think keanu just has a really amazing range and yeah i'm just really really in awe of that guy in in, in lots of ways yeah um in real life too i, I mean he's it. just he's an he's an amazing person in real life as well um as for the role of morpheus russell crowe sean connery and samuel jackson all could have been morpheus at one time before lawrence fishburne holy jeez um for sean connery it was apparently a matter of just not understanding the script which is also the reason why he turned down Lord of the Rings. What? Oh, you didn't know that? No. Sean for, Connery for was originally role? up for Gandalf. Holy shit. And he turned it down because he didn't understand. He didn't understand the story. And he has said before he passed, that was one of his biggest regrets was turning down Lord of the Rings because wow. it turned out to be epic. Wow. So I what? would have just asked somebody like, hey, can you help me understand this a little bit more? So um, you mentioned that the book of philosophy, the simu, what is it? Simulacra? Simula simulacra and simulation. Simulacra and simulation. Uh, the Bukowskis actually had all of the cast members read that book before production. Awesome. So they were all, they all brushed up on their knowledge of philosophy by reading that book before they started. I feel slightly more justified about my rant now. There you go. Um, this is what this is a really cool one that I like too. The whole movie is color coded. Um, the only time the color green appears in the real world is when the matrix code is being shown on screen. What you never wow. see the color green in the real world, it is reserved purely for um, the world of the matrix. Wow, interesting. All the scenes that take place in the matrix have a green tint, while all the scenes that take place in the real world have a blue tint. Yeah, I did notice that the um, real world is very blue. Yeah, in 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 like warmth terms, um, not like emotionally, but yeah, very very blue in, in palette terms. 
the lead actors trained every day for four months in order to pull off their fight scenes, uh, which is incredible. Yeah, I, I uh, in the special feature saw that they trained for uh, seven months for the second, third one. The second or third one. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Keanu had cervical spine surgery prior to the training period uh, that he had to wear a neck brace throughout the training, which makes him even more of a badass. Yeah. The fact that he got trained that bad or that good while he was wearing a neck brace during all of it. Do you have any other injury tidbits in here? um, Yeah, there's um, apparently Hugo Weaving had to undergo hip surgery after being injured during the fight training. So he got injured on or he felt something in his leg on day two went in to go see uh actually keanu's doctor keanu's doctor told him that he had a uh bone marrow uh edema which for which he had to undergo surgery they gave him a spinal block so he was awake during it and watched the surgery what himself he watched them operate on his so they, he watched them go into his freaking bone marrow oh, that's God. intense that's really intense yeah. Yeah. There's actually in the special features, you can see uh, this. Um, it's filmed when Hugo tells this to his castmates and, and Lawrence Fisher was like, you're crazy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> More power to him, man. Knock me out. I don't want to, I don't want to see that. So they, they weren't sure if they, if, if Hugo was going to be able to actually do the filming for it, because as they were saying, that was day two of, of the martial arts training. And so w- what they ended up doing was actually pushing all of the fight scenes, uh, filming all the fight scenes until the end of, of shooting of principal production or principal well, photography. Yeah. And it's also one of the reasons going back to Keanu's spinal uh, surgery too. It's one of the reasons why in the first movie and a lot of the fight scenes, he does very little kicking because his spine was still adjusting to the surgery that he had prior to the training. I did not know that you don't, he doesn't start kicking kicks do not become part of his fight training or his fight sequences until the second and third movie. Interesting. um, And there actually is one other injury story I see in production notes too, is that Carrie Ann Moss actually twisted her ankle pretty badly uh, while shooting one of her scenes, but she did not tell anybody until filming for the movie was completely over because they did not want her to, they did not want the studio to recast her. Wow. She was so committed to the role that she, she didn't tell anybody because she didn't want to be recast in the, uh, in the bathroom scene. Uh, fight scene in the first one, you know, like when they're sliding down the wall and stuff, and Morpheus jumps out of the wall to to battle Agent Smith. Um, in that fight choreography, there is a point where Morpheus goes to punch Agent Smith, and Smith blocks Morpheus's punch with a punch, so he punches Morpheus's punch. Mm-hmm. And in in the choreography, you know, like they're obviously not supposed to make contact, but in the filming thereof, they accidentally did punch each other's fists oh, <laughs> and uh, they were saying they they heard an audible crack on, on sound and hugo weaving's wrist blew up like the next day and he thought that maybe he broke his wrist ended up being fine but something that did actually happen, he sustained a a um uh, a kick from from lawrence uh in the rib cage and he ended up getting two cracked ribs from that which he didn't find out until sometime later that's crazy. still continued filming like the rest of the, the amount of trips. the amount of stuff that they put themselves through just to make these movies is just it's unbelievable. 
Carrie Ann Moss broke her leg in the second week of training for uh, Matrix Reloaded and Revisited oh in God. the second week of their seven-month martial arts training. Seven months, people. That's insane. It's crazy. Um, trying to see if I have any other ones that are most no- that are just really notable. Um, I think that's pretty much it on my end. Let me see. Hold on. Um, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. So the Matrix they quoted a budget of more than eighty million dollars to Warner Brothers, not thirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warner Brothers refused, and instead offered them ten million. So I was right about that part. I was wrong about the 30. Uh, what a later, counter offer. Their ca- yeah. Later, <laughs> when they created the opening scene and showed it to the executives, they were given the green signal and the entire original budget. Awesome. Yeah. So um, let's see. Uh, according to Greek mythology, Morpheus is the god of dreams. And in the movie, the job of Morpheus is to awaken the humans from their virtual world to reality. So that's one of the reasons for the naming of... Uh, of the character. And then the only other one, um, there's two other ones. I see all the characters in the movies in the movie were sunglasses, uh, which were all custom designed for each of them. Uh, the shape of the lens is different for the agents and the renegade group. Every bad guy wears rectangular lenses while the rounded lenses are supported only, uh, are sported only by the good guys. I did not catch that. Never, never caught that either. Um, and then the other, the last one I have is uh, when Neo wakes up in the pod and he has that emaciated look, uh, Keanu achieved that by losing 15 pounds and shaving his entire body. Dang. Commitment. Commitment, man. That guy's committed, which is why I'm, I'm excited for this fourth one. Um, but before we get into predictions for the fourth one, any final notes on anything? from this original trilogy franchise and want to bring up anything we might have forgotten just um production wise just a random thing that that came to mind while you're mentioning that that scene where he awakens in in the pod when those uh little bits like hit the little connection things blow off his like arms and like spine and stuff Mm -hmm. so when they pulled the thing uh connection cord out of the back of his head that's a dummy but when he actually does break out of that freaking pod. I don't know what they use for that, but that's amazing. That looks like it would have been really freaking cold. And <laughs> when when the um, uh, little connection things like pull off of his arms and stuff, that was real. All, they, they really did have that stuff like blowing off of his arms, which is why it looks so awesome. And yeah, probably crazy probably to had to be like some like CO two system or something that popped them. And yeah, which but even still, like that's that's really cool. And. Um, Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, I don't know what they would have used. I, I would have a, I would have a, have to imagine it's some kind of gelatin based liquid that he was sitting in. I don't know. Yeah. I fast forwarded through that, that one special feature, but it, it's in there if people are interested. Okay. Uh, the the, the other one is for uh, Matrix Reloaded and Revisited. As we we're saying, they shot both of these together. They basic, they did basically pre production for a year which is like all that awesome previous stuff we were talking about planning blocking fight coordinating you know uh set building all that stuff uh which is all super amazing like you're saying they built a freaking uh however many miles stretch of a mile and a half stretch yeah highway (laughs) they did pre-production for a year then they shot for a year like if you're watching the special features you can see like uh 
shoot day number, uh, you know, 57, 183, like 289, 59 or, or, or whatever. Like they, they filmed for like a freaking year and then they did post-production for a year. So a year of pre-production, a year of production and a year of post-production. So they were doing that thing for like three freaking years. They were, well, they they were dedicated been, and, and they must. So wow. they had to have started that then right after the first matrix. Because if it took them three years between pre-shooting and post, and, and the Matrix came out in 99 and Reloaded came out in 2003, they had to have started right after the first one. Yeah. You know, they, like they, they had, it had to have been a pretty quick turnaround to get started on the second and third movies. Yeah, I think, um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, their martial arts training for the, for the cast started like November 2000. Okay. So like a, a year after it released in theaters, more or less. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's talk, let's spend a couple minutes on Resurrections. And what do you, where do you think the story is going? Like, how do you, I mean, because by the end of, of, uh, revolutions we assume that neo is dead trinity is definitely dead at least that's what we're led to assume how do you think this is going to shape up what kind of predictions do you have for the movie so i don't have any predictions i didn't watch the trailer but uh i did listen to an interview with uh lana um uh and three of the other writers um also, no, David or James McTeague was there, but David Lloyd was there and uh, two of the other uh, script writers. Um, oh, what's his name? Hyman and uh, Alexander Hyman. And um, uh, forgive me, I can't remember the other guy's name. David so Mitchell. I, 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 yeah. So I, I haven't, you know, them talking about what it's going to be a little bit. Um, but I don't have any prognostications. Can I turn this question around? Do you have prognostications? I and then really, I'll go into what I, what I heard. I really don't. Um, I did watch the trailer and the trailer um, had definitely piqued my interest. It's, I did have an, an initial theory that maybe the Neo that we're seeing is basically just a consciousness existing within the matrix and he has no physical body. Um, because what we see of his body at the end of, you know, uh, revolutions is that it's, you know, it's wasted. He's, he's no longer there. Um, but maybe there are remnants of his consciousness that remained inside the matrix since that was where he was when he died. Uh, you know, since he died within the matrix, his consciousness could be revived. But then I thought, and the, maybe it's the same thing with Trinity, but how would Trinity's exist consciousness get into the matrix if she died before she was jacked in? So I, I don't know. I really don't know what to predict from this. So I basically stopped trying and I'm just going to watch it. Yeah. So um, most of the time when I watch a movie, it's either because I'm either somewhat aware of the property or um, I'm aware of uh, writers or directors, or there's like um, a, a lead that I'm interested in in watching, <clears throat> and and so this one basically has checked all of those boxes. You know, the writers, directors, or and and leads are all the same from from the other movies, um, except L Lily is as is, is absent 
from this one. Yeah, it's just Lana. Um, but so I so I heard an, an interview with um, uh, as I was mentioning with the with the writers and and Lana, who's a writer and and director. Um, so, you know, I'm actually I'm actually not going to talk about that. So if if okay. if you're interested, uh, if if listeners are interested, you you can go um, find that. Uh, Again, so that's that was Lana Wachowski, uh, David Mitchell, uh, Alexander Hamon, and um, there's one more, but I'm sure if you if you search that, you, you can find it. it. Was actually at a German film festival uh, a couple months back, um, but but they kind of go into a lot of the inspirations for that and and why it is that Lana decided to no pun intended revisit uh, this this intellectual space. Um, but to prognosticate, as I as I said that I would not just a few minutes ago, um, you know, our Neo from the original Matrix trilogy is the sixth one, and uh, also to bring it back to the Matrix Online, we were saying uh, happens in the aftermath of Matrix Revolutions. So uh, you know, at the very end, there's that scene with the Oracle and the architect and, you know, um, they've brokered this piece with, with, with Zion and, uh, the Oracle basically presses the architect, uh, and saying like, what are you going to do with the people that are still plugged in? And the architect says that he's going to free those who are still plugged in and Oracle's like, uh, are you really going to do that? And and the architect's like, what am I a human when we're going back on my word or something? And, um, uh, Maybe he does like, you know, when talking about functions, you know, like he has that, that big speech with, with um, Neo that I was talking about in Reloaded uh, where he's talking about what is the function of the one? What is the, the purpose, the duty of the one? So what is the purpose and the duty of the architect? The purpose of the du- and duty of the architect is to create a simulation, which keeps humans like not necessarily happily plugged in, but, but like, uh, as he would say, like willingly plugged in, like you have to give them some kind of choice, no matter how small, no matter how, like on a barely conscious level, but they have to kind of choose to stay. Well, I think like as Morpheus is saying, like, and I I think even the people will fight to to protect the system. Yeah. And I think even the architect says that at the end of revolutions, you know, when him and the, and the Oracle are sitting on that bench speaking, I think the architect even says those who want to be freed can be freed. Oh, is that what he says? Yeah. Maybe I have that totally wrong. So, and so, I mean, they do, people will have a choice from that point going forward. Interesting. So maybe, you know, some, some amount of people decide to remain behind because I mean, the, the matrix online, so far as I know is canon. So I don't think that they're going to pull a Disney and, and have like matrix legends. Uh, (laughs) That would be total BS. Yeah. I'd still begrudge Disney for that. But um, so in, in that case, like people still are plugged in. Otherwise there would be no matrix online for, for characters to run around and explore. Yeah. But basically your character in that game, um, you know, like uh, the rest of the heroes in the matrix movies uh, are born into the matrix and then, you know, substantiate and, and come out and, you know, join a, a, um, Hovership crew and you know jack in and try and free more minds 
And so you in that game decide, you know, what what faction you're going to support, whether you know, like Merovingian uh, and like the oh, the exiles, that's the name of those programs that don't turn to the source, like the twins and stuff. They're called exiles. Um, I can't believe we didn't bring up the train scene that stuff either but anyway yeah um uh, well it's, and it's funny that you bring that up too because one of those characters is returning for the new movie and that's oh, sati, interesting uh sati the little girl oh no way um she is coming back for this movie it's a different it's a different actress and the character is older mm-hmm. um but she is that character is returning for resurrections um as is i think niobe is returning as well cool so all for it um, she's listed in the credits at least, so we'll see. Is it so. going to be a young Niobe or like well, that's the, what, like that, they recast Morpheus, or is it going to be Jada? I, well, see, it, it's Jada. Jada's listed in the credits as returning, sweet um, as Niobe. And but see, that's what confuses me though, because Sati is in there and she's older, but Morpheus is in there and he's younger. I don't know, man. So I don't know. I don't know, but I'm I'm intrigued and I'm excited. Uh, December twenty second is when that movie releases and I don't know, maybe sometime, maybe we'll do an episode shortly afterwards and like, I'll invite you back on and we'll do like a review. Oh, of, uh, so of, game of resurrections. We'll do that. I, we did it for uh, like, we did a review of last night in Soho. And then I just did ghostbusters afterlife with Damien on his podcast. So yeah, maybe after maybe that, after that comes out, we'll do like a one-off episode and we'll just, I'll bring you back on and we'll, we'll do a review of resurrections. Heck yeah. I'd be honored. That'd be awesome. Cool. Um, any final notes on anything Matrix related before we uh, we start to wrap things up? No, I, I think I pretty much hit cool. everything I had to say. Cool. Um, I know you don't have any podcasts of your own. Uh, maybe that'll change one day. Um, but as far as like recommendations, any podcasts that you listen to that you want to recommend to people, any books that you've read lately, anything you want to recommend to any of the listeners right now? Yes. You're just a fan of. Absolutely. Um, one, you can totally yell at me on Twitter. You can find me at <laughs> Eric Stipes, E-R-I-C-S-T-I-P-E-S. And uh, uh, tell me if I'm full of it or you totally agree or, or anything. After this, I'm, I'm very down to talk the Matrix for you know the uh, next couple of weeks. Um, but uh, um, podcast called philosophize this or i think that's the name of it uh let me let me check real quick yeah sometimes we get so caught up in the podcast that we listen to that we don't remember yeah it's called called. it's amazing because i've actually listened to the to this podcast for for years and i'm a patreon but or a patron uh thereof but uh yeah philosophize this with uh with steven west uh he even does a podcast um uh, which which I should have gone back and 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 really dug into on uh, simulacra and si- simulation and there's a lot of other stuff that I didn't um, get into in the Matrix about like postmodernism and stuff like um, um, you know there's also like Cornell West is is in this this flick you know he's one of the council members uh, count, councilman West um, uh, so there there's other um, if you dig some of that philosophy stuff that I was talking about, um, there's philosophize. This does a podcast on simulacra and simulation and uh, a bunch of other postmodern philosophers. Uh, so if you like deconstruction and uh, destroying uh, grand narratives, um, I would recommend not only checking out those episodes, 
but the, the entire podcast in, in general is fantastic. And um, uh, I'm sure there's, there's, would love to plug, uh, uh, obviously, Podcastica, um, where, of course. Which is where I, I, I know you from. I'm, I'm sure everybody who listens to this podcast has already heard lots of shout outs for Podcastica, but <laughs> it really is great. And uh, without that, I would have never encountered uh, you, fine sir, Ben, which, for which I am eternally grateful. Yeah, I'm I'm super happy that I finally had you on. Um, just a quick quick side note: I was looking, I had the IMDb page up for the Matrix Resurrections as we were talking, and I happened to notice in the photos a picture that kind of drew me to it, and I just clicked on it to make it larger, and it's a picture of Neo walking away from the camera with a coffee shop in the background, and the name of the coffee shop is Simulate. What? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the name of the coffee shop is Simulate. So I like that nice little Easter egg, um, which I would have never even picked up on had we not had that conversation about the book. I would have never even realized that's what that was. So some good came out of that conversation. I love it. I I never noticed the title of that book until I was uh, rewatching it for the show. So super grateful. I, I would have never fallen down that rabbit hole without um, uh, you having me on. Yeah, it's amazing some of the stuff you find out when you start doing research into something like when you actually start putting a little bit of effort into what you're watching rather than just watching it as a viewer, but start analyzing something. Um, You know, we mentioned, you know, I was just on watch it in the 80s talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife, which we thought was just going to be a quick review of that podcast. Forewarned, it's almost a two hour long podcast because we go deep into like character development and everything. And it's yeah. like it's deep analysis of these characters that I didn't expect to go into, but we just kind of <laughs> fell into it and, you know, ties to the original story that these cast had. It was great. It was a great conversation. And two hours flew, man. It was great. Um, so, yeah, so there's that podcast. And then uh, as for and Podcastica, as well, as you mentioned, I'm currently co-hosting House Podcastica right now for Amazon's The Wheel of Time, which has been with uh, Greg and Wendy, which has been a ton of fun. Um, but I know um, Strange Indeed is covering Dexter and Great British Bake Off, and they just wrapped up their coverage on Lock and Key. Uh, house podcasting, as I mentioned, Wheel of Time. And then towards the end of this month, they're going to be covering Cobra Kai returning for season four, which I can't wait. And Book of Boba Fett on Disney Plus, which is there's so much going on on Pocastica right now. I don't know how all of the I, amazing people are, are keeping up I, on the production side. Jason it's even a lot. Jason even asked me, he's like, I heard you want to do Wheel of Time. He's like, do you have time? <laughs> to do we live time it's like i will make time i was just about time. to dig into that uh when i volunteered to do this and and after this i'm going to be digging digging into wheel time into the books or into the the series the, sh- the show okay the show is really good the show is really well done awesome uh as for this podcast as for wilhelm if you like what you hear be sure to leave a review on apple podcasts or wherever podcast whatever podcasting platform you listen on, the more reviews I receive, uh, the more people I can reach. So those positive reviews definitely help. Also be sure to follow Wilhelm on social media, such as at Facebook at facebook.com slash the Wilhelm podcast. And you can follow me on Instagram as well at the Wilhelm pod. Lastly, if you want to reach out to me directly for any reason, whether it be to provide some kind of feedback or recommendations for anything you want to hear me cover on the podcast, you can reach out directly uh, at the Wilhelm podcast at gmail.com. 
Um, next couple episodes are holiday episodes. We've got in no particular order. Uh, we're going to talk about our favorite movie, Santa's. One episode, we're going to talk about whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie, which is always a yearly debate. And of course, we're going to talk about our top five favorite holiday films, which that episode will release on Christmas Eve. Um, Eric, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. I'm so glad to finally get the podcast with you. Thank you, sir. And it will not be the last time. I will be more than happy to return. Well, this like I, excellent, yeah. man. Thank and you like, so much. Yeah, and like I said, we'll have you. I'll get you. We'll, we'll come back on. We'll do a. We'll do a uh, resurrections review. Sweet. Let's so, do it. We'll do that in a couple of weeks. Um, as for myself, thank you so much for the positive feedback that everybody is always receiving. Uh, just leave those reviews; they really help. Even if it's just a five star, you don't have to write anything. That's fine. Um, but until next time, we will see you on another episode of Wilhelm. Take care.